Are you ready for some nosy bitches? Because this is about to get explicit. Hey, bitches. Hey, friends. Hey, Carla. Hi, Michael. How you doing? It's been a few weeks. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) You know, the holidays, I had COVID. You did have COVID. You sound much better now. So, Swan Street murmur. (laughs) First of all, we didn't do this on the episode. I know we did it on our socials, but special thank you to our listener, Stephen, for suggesting that one. That one just impacted me in a really deep way. If you haven't listened to that case, it's just wild and still unsolved today. And it's really fun. That's our last episodes one and two. Same as what we just said for John Bonet and Lacey Peterson. First episode, we lay out the timeline of events of the thing itself and then dig a little bit deeper into the aftermath and the prosecution and defense. You did a very good job both storytelling and laying out some of the theories or some of the reasonings behind. Yeah. And then the trial case. So... I really enjoyed it. And it's crazy because I had never heard of that case yeah. until we started talking about it. So thank you, Stephen. We had a good time and I had a good time diving into, you know, a town at the time, DC. So it's good. Thank you, Stephen. You are one of our favorite listeners. We appreciate you. So I have a couple of shout outs. Shout out to Kelly's, and that's Kelly with an I, Coffee Crime Chat. She focuses on Midwest crimes. She's been a listener. Midwest girl. Yeah, and following on our socials since the very beginning. And we really do appreciate that. So much. She does some quick hits. So if you get an opportunity, if that's your jam, um, listen to her. She's always talking about what kind of cool coffee she has. And then also, this isn't a podcast, but I'm really digging it, you know, back in the world of blogs. But this is actually a blog called Killer Queen Blog. And she has some fantastic writing. She covers some crime cases and crime in documentaries. Depth too. Like yeah. In depth. She does really good jobs. Couple of shout outs. They're totally not sponsored. Those are just the people who are supporting us and listening to us. And we're trying to support them back. I hope you take a listen. And of course, we would be remiss at all of that if we didn't say, hey, please hit us up on our socials, like and subscribe on whatever podcast platform that you're on, help us out with the algorithm gods. But you can also find us on Instagram and Facebook, both at NosyBees. And you can email us anytime you like at NosyBeesForLife at gmail.com. That's N-O-S-E-Y-B-E-E-S, the number four, L-I-F-E at gmail.com. I will just say, this is a season of giving. If each of you tell someone or share one of our socials to spread the message and gets one more listener. It is a huge help to us. I shamelessly steal this anytime I get the chance. Two girls, one ghost does this whole pyramid scheme thing. That's what I want. Be part of our pyramid scheme. Mm -hmm. You tell two people and then they tell two people and you get the gift of more of us. (laughs) (laughs) What have you got for us today, Carla? I actually never thought we would ever cover this case. When I thought about true crime cases that we could cover, This was probably on the list of I absolutely never want to cover. And the main reason I never wanted to cover it is, to me, it was a cut and dry story. Yeah. It was an outcry that she was acquitted. But given the latest Peacock documentary that she came out and talked for the first time in 10 years, and it's a Florida case, and while Orlando is not my hometown, my cousins live there, my grandmother lived there. I did live there for a short while. I lived there for a short while, too. It feels very hometown to me. We are talking about the infamous Casey Anthony, but worse, really, the murder of Kaylee Anthony. That's right. Or the accidental death of Kaylee Anthony. 
I guess we'll see where it lands. This case really so topsy-turvy, not only for probably the main character in it. You're absolutely right. Like, let's give honor to Kaylee. I think what made this case so famous slash infamous was Casey, though, and some of her personality. And it just made it really difficult, I think, at the end of the day to parse out fact from fiction. I'm really, really excited to see what you have to lay out for us today. What we'll do is we'll talk about the timeline of the events. Then we'll talk a little bit about the court case. And I did listen to the documentary series. I have a feeling we're going to go long on this podcast. You guys buckle in. Get one of those really big wine glasses. Yeah. (laughs) It's going to be a whole adventure. (laughs) The caveat that I'll say is that this information is only as good as the people who are giving you this information. Almost everything in this case cannot be proven beyond a shadow of doubt. Just remember that some of the facts are coming from people who don't have a history of telling facts. Yeah. So we'll throw that out there. A little bit of family dynamics with Casey Anthony. Mom is Cindy and she is a nurse. Father is George Anthony. He was a previous police officer and currently at the time worked as a security guard or did some type of security for something in Orlando. She does have an older brother, Lee. He really tries to stay, for the most part, out of the limelight. And then, of course, there's Kaylee. Kaylee was born August 9th, 2005. Casey actually kept the pregnancy a secret, not only from her extended family, but also from her brother. So he didn't even know that his sister was pregnant. Do we know why she kept chose to keep it secret? Was I mean, was she a bit of a an adventurous girl? Yeah, or? so she was pretty young. I think I've said this before, but if you're new here, I was a teenage mom. I was 19 yeah. when I had a child. Casey is pretty young. Having I think she is about 19 okay. having a baby. I will say there are some strange family dynamics here. The family, in my opinion, they're probably a pretty aggressive type of family okay they are probably a family of yellers and that's okay some family that's just their love language that's how they communicate i was gonna say aren't you part italian isn't this like how you interact i I came from a i'm my kids would probably say that they came from a family of yellers i didn't necessarily come from a family of yellers but somebody actually said to me earlier they're like why are you yelling i'm like i'm not (laughs) so i can definitely get loud And then you put a whole family together who are loud people. They do remind me a little bit of the Buttafuco's. They kind of like have this bravada about them. There is some strange dynamic. And I don't know if it's like putting on airs. Really, honestly, I don't understand it. now. Like Orlando, 2008. It's a pretty, it's a very expensive city to live in. Yeah, so I don't know if the family is like putting on airs. Maybe. Or... They're trying to appear like this perfect family, and so they don't it's want anybody to know. keeping up with the know. Joneses thing, for yeah, sure. Yeah, it's just a, it's a weird dynamic. The whole time that Casey is pregnant, she's hiding her pregnancy from everybody. We also don't know who Kaylee's father is. Okay. There's been some rumors about who it was. There were some DNA tests done. There was a man who was said to be Kaylee's father. He died in a car accident. Never then nor now do we know who Kaylee's actual father is. Her family really was her grandmother. And it does seem that both George and Cindy were a huge part of Kaylee's life. Some people would say that they probably acted as the parent and that Casey was the fun aunt or 
the half parent, whether they shared or co-parented Kaylee together. But it is known that she really too was the love of their lives. Her grandparents loved them very much. And of course, Casey was her mom. Yeah. The timeline is going to move very fast. And it's important to remember these dates because there's going to be so much speculation about what later comes. Kaylee is almost three years old. So June 15th, 2008, there is a documented fight between Cindy and Casey. And Cindy's pretty much at this point, she's over Casey. And she wants Casey to move out and Kaylee can stay. And so even though they fight and had this big, so the neighbors actually will testify to how loud this fight was. Oh, dang. You're talking a real fight. Yeah. Okay. Now, I will say later, the Anthonys will be like, that wasn't that big of a deal. (laughs) But again, they're loud talkers. (laughs) Right. Again, family dynamics do come to play. The thing that I want everyone to take away is this is really the moment. So you think that Kaylee is just shy of three years old, where Cindy... Anthony is like, listen, Casey, you can move out, but your daughter, she's going to stay with me. That's right. And I'm going to be her parent. Those are some really tough. Again, like I was a teen mom and I can remember, I didn't really have these types of experiences because my parents, there was no like not being a parent. There was no question of like, okay, you can go out if you want to, or you can schluff off your responsibility. Absolutely not. We're not, we're not going to put up with it. But I do know that in the little bit of partying or being irresponsible that I did, my parents were like, "Uh uh-uh. So now they never threatened to take my kids. But I do understand how this conversation goes. And I can only imagine how it plays into Casey's mind because she's a new mom. Yeah. You've got to be feeling kind of insecure And if this is something you're worried about, and you already know that, I don't know if it's coming from her parents or it's coming from Casey, but you already know that people's opinion about her is very important given the amount of lying that she did during her pregnancy. That's right. June 16th, her mother, Cindy, who's a nurse, she goes to work. And at some point, her dad leaves for his security job at the house around 2.30. We know that he got to his job in Orlando at 3 o'clock. We're thinking he had to lift somewhere around 2.30. While he, though, will later testify that Casey had already left with Kaylee, there are Google searches on a section of the home computer that Casey was logged into. Things like, just to set the setting, you go to log into the computer, you have to pick like, okay, you're going to choose Michael's profile, you're going to choose Carla's profile. This is under Casey's profile. And would require a password known to Casey. Yes. In order to get in. Casey's MySpace. This is back in the day. So Casey's MySpace was logged into as well. We definitely feel like this person is Casey based on some of the evidence that we know. Because they logged in as Casey and then they did things that a Casey would do, like log into another account that presumably requires another layer of password We're fairly confident at this point that this is Casey. Right. So he Googles, right, under Casey's profile on the home computer, full proof suffocation at 251. Jesus Christ. (laughs) We know Cindy's at work. We know that George is at work in nine minutes. We know that it was said that Casey left. 
So whether Casey left and then came back or Casey was there the whole time, it just depends on what storyteller is telling you. So foolproof suffocation is Googled. It's important to note that this fact never came out during the trial. This is was something that was found out afterwards. 252 logs into Casey's MySpace account. One minute, foolproof suffocation. One minute later, MySpace. It's not a good look. <laughs> it's weird. not a good look, Casey. It's very weird. That night, so really from 2.52 to later that night, we know nothing. We, we have no idea like what's happening, what's going on. So later that night, Casey is seen hanging out with her boyfriend at the time, Tony Lazaro. They're seen on video. I'm about to take you guys all the way back at a blockbuster. Oh my gosh. It's important to note there is no sighting of Kaylee at this blockbuster. In the following weeks, Tony and Casey would go to the Anthony home and steal gas. They would be confronted. I think it's known that Casey was stealing money also from the house. No sightings of Kaylee. George and Cindy would ask Casey many times, where is Kaylee? Can we see her? She would tell her that she was with the nanny, Zanny. That's kind of where Zanny the nanny comes into. Zanny the nanny and Kaylee are going to Disney World. They're going to Universal. There's all sorts of things that they're doing in this time. But over the next few weeks, Cindy and George do not get to see Kaylee even though they have been asked over and over and over again to see her. I just can't imagine as Casey's parents what that must feel like, right? Because all of a sudden now you're putting together something's not quite right here. We're asking about our granddaughter and we're not getting, we haven't seen her, which is disturbing enough, but if given a good, credible, reasonable explanation, we're going to feel okay about But at this point, they're clearly starting to feel like these are no longer reasonable. These are starting to feel a little less than authentic and altruistic. And that what an awful feeling. And just being like, well, wait a minute. Why is my daughter still acting like everything's fine then? Yeah. And it's weird to like go weeks. You know, so they never went. I can't imagine. No, they never even went days without seeing their granddaughter. My mom, when I was a kid, and granted, not a teenage pregnancy. So maybe that exacerbates it even more. But when I was a young kid, like maybe once a week, my mom might go see my grandma without me. But you're raising a young kid. You take your kid with you. Like where else is the child? Like I don't care. I mean, I don't have grandkids yet, but my sister-in-law, she has a grandson. And I'm telling you that if her daughter showed up without her grandson, she would be like, turn back around and go get my grandson and bring him back here. I just, yeah, I don't care what kind of grandparents you are. You're you're getting a little suspicious of that. Of like, yeah. well, wait a, wait a second, where is it? And like, does your nanny work full time? Just, but what a hard realization for you as a parent to be like, wait a minute. What is my daughter not telling me? This is the part that would really bother me. My daughter is at my home stealing gas, stealing money, but yet has a nanny. Nannies How does are that work? very expensive. I had to put I'm my not kids, the best at math, but yeah. Carla. <laughs> I had to put my kids in daycare and because I could not afford a nanny. That's right. In these weeks that they're continuing to ask in between stealing gas. I mean, I just can't even with the stealing gas. There are pictures of Casey out partying. There's She's participating in a hard body contest. Yes. 
And by the way, if you don't know what Casey Anthony looks like, it's worth Googling it because I think it helps paint this picture too. She was a beautiful girl. Oh, absolutely. And I, I think too, like anyone like you, Carla, that, that was a teenage mom, there are conflicting interests and needs going on within you at that point. Like most of us when we're 19, are, have, the whole world is our oyster and when we don't have the responsibility of a child, right? And it feels a little bit like she was trying to relive some of that as this beautiful teenager and it's just a little weird given the circumstances. Yeah, I do think like most teen parents, yeah. they experience probably, and normally it is, when after the child gets some type of independence, probably a couple of years old, maybe even a couple of years past that, that they realize like, oh, I can go out into the world again. And you're not having to like leave behind a baby. You're leaving a toddler who can somewhat do some things. And there's Especially so with much, some guidance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and they're, they're sleeping through the night. It's way easier to get your parents to watch the kids when they learn how to sleep through the night. So I can understand this thing. It also comes to like a dynamic, like do you have someone who's going to watch them? And I know a lot of – I had a couple of other friends who were teen moms right along with me. And their partying really depended on what boundaries their parents set for them. Because again, we were poor. We could not even pay for a babysitter. Like, I think I could afford, at the time, my 12-year-old little sister. Like, that's probably the extent of what I could afford to watch my kids. Yeah. But to, you know, to be paying some nanny. So you really did have to depend on family. So if you have a family who's like, yeah, go party for, you know, weeks on end and I'll just watch your kid, well, that's probably what you're going to do. If you have my parents who are like, no, absolutely not. Like, we'll watch your children while you work, but that's it outside of that. And that's what's interesting because some things we do know is that is some of the limitations that Cindy put on Casey. She was like, you know what? I'll watch Kaylee, but only when you're working. And so that's where some of this nanny stuff started to pop up. And there's a lot later that we'll discuss around Casey working and her mom watching Kaylee. Okay. She is out partying. She's doing that hard body costume. There's a lot of video of her shopping for clothes. And again, like security cameras, nothing is picking, no pictures, nothing is picking up Kaylee. She essentially has dropped from Casey's day-to-day activities. And at that point, though, we don't necessarily know all of that. All we know is that from Cindy's perspective, I'm not seeing my granddaughter. Right. I'm not seeing my granddaughter. Next thing that happens, July 15th, so almost a month later from the last time George and Cindy saw Kaylee, Casey's car was impounded. I guess it was abandoned, and so it had been towed, impounded, They finally were able to get a hold of Casey's parents and they went to go get the car because while it is Casey's car, it is really Cindy and Georgia's car. Because she's still a child. Right. Also, Michael, your parents just give you a car to use for free and you just abandon it on the road? Never. I can't even fathom. I would have been set straight so quick. I can't like, even. that would have been the very, I mean, it wouldn't even have been a question. Like, that would have been the very last time that my kids touched my vehicle that I pay for. I let them know all the time that, like, that's my car that I let you drive. That is not your car. This begins when you think about the behavior of Casey and who Casey is as a person. This really, st- okay, and to be fair, this is Casey at 19. 
So yeah. I, I won't hold her. None of us. Yeah, please. Right. I won't. I won't hold her to it. Forever. Do not let any of us be held to yeah. that. Well, excuse <laughs> me. You know She's twenty-two at this moment. Okay. In time. So because Kaylee is a few right, years yeah. old. Yeah. So this is her at twenty-two. Is that she is still not much better. <laughs> so selfish and entitled at this moment in her life that she just leaves this car that clearly she doesn't pay for. I just on like, the side of the road to be impounded. I really, to your point about the interesting family dynamic, like already. I haven't seen my granddaughter, if I'm George and Cindy, for a, a while now, weeks on end. And I know maybe they don't know this at the time because we have the benefit of looking back on this right. like as an investigation, right? But my daughter, the mother of this child, is out partying and getting tattoos. I know that people deal with stress and grief in different ways, but that's throwing off radars for me. That's not behavior of someone that... And maybe it is. Maybe that's what she's trying to portray. That is behavior of someone that has a nanny. That is behavior of someone that feels like they have someone safe for their kiddo to sit with. But if I'm in George and Cindy's seat and I've never met this nanny and I have been asking to see my granddaughter and I haven't seen her, this would seem like really odd behavior to me. It's weird that we're now at a month out and they haven't called that out more readily. I'm confused by that. I don't know. After 30 days, my parents might have called the police. I'm just saying if my Nana hadn't seen me in a couple of weeks, again, my mom would take me almost every time that she went out there. There would be, they'd start to be like, no, really, D, what's going on? Right. Like, is Michael sick? Do you guys need help? It wouldn't even come from a place of blaming. It would come from a place of like, do you need help? Like, is that just- wrong? That's right. And especially given the fact that technically Casey lived with George and Cindy. And drove their car. Right. The car gets impounded. They get a hold of Cindy and George. They go there to pick up the car. And there is this immediate strong smell coming from the trunk. Oh, shit. In fact, so, like, George is worried that Casey is in the trunk of the car. Like, he's worried that his daughter, that something bad has happened to his daughter, and she is in the trunk of this car. And the smell, they say, like, not only the impound lot guy, but also her father and then later her mother, they really do talk about the smell being lived to a dead body. Yeah. So they open up the trunk. Casey isn't there, but there are bags of garbage in the trunk that have sat there for at least a week or so because the car had been abandoned. There is rotting garbage in there, which obviously smells and could make people possibly think of a decomposing body or smell like a dead body also come on why do you have garbage bags of trash in your trunk i will say that i've put garbage bags in my car before usually to transport them right to the dumpster right and then you take them out this just seems so flippant you abandon the car at the side of the road and you were literally transporting in the free vehicle that your parents gave you garbage and you just left it there honestly like the pure selfishness and some of the entitlement around it that's still just really selfish and stupid it really starts to raise alarm of course it does in cindy and george and they are immediately trying to get a hold of Casey. Now they are calling friends and they get a hold of Casey and they convince her to come to the house. Okay. But of course, like the following weeks, Casey shows up without Kaylee and this time Cindy is not having it. This starts this series of 911 calls that we get and they're weird. There's three of them and it's important. The second one is not so important, but the first one's important because Cindy is pissed. So she's reporting her car stolen. 
She's reporting that Casey stole her money. Like she wants Casey arrested. And I think this kind of goes back to what she had said a month ago. Like you can leave, but I'm going to take my granddaughter and I'm going to take custody of her and you go live this life that you want to live. I think that's part of why she wants her arrested is she's starting to start this pattern, this documented pattern of Casey's misbehavior. That's right. So that she can take custody of Kaylee. While they're on the phone, in between, the operator needs to switch them to a department. And I heard this on another podcast, and I think it's accurate. This is the moment that we hear Cindy and Casey talking to one another that at its purest form. You're not on trial. There's not a reporter in front of you. You're not on a document series. You don't think anyone's listening. You don't know that anybody's <clears throat> listening. And they have a conversation, and it is a little bit grainy, so I'll just recap it, and then you guys can listen to it. So... She ascending essentially, you need to quit playing games. I'm going to take Kaylee from you with a court order. Like, I'm going to go to court and I'm going to get her. And Casey's like, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to play games that just give me another day. And Cindy is, no, I have given you a month. And then at some point, the call disconnects. Second 911 call. She's incredibly upset. She's saying that the daughter is saying that the granddaughter has been missing for 31 days and they need an officer dispatched. But then she goes back to her daughter needs to be arrested. She's demanding that an officer comes to the home and that's a conversation. So she's a little bit more frantic, but Casey isn't giving up any information. Cindy is really adamant that something is to happen and Casey is to blame for it. The third call. Cindy is hysterical in this phone call, and she says that the baby has been stolen for the last month and that her mother finally admitted it to her. At some point, the 911 operator wants to talk to Casey. Here's Cindy, who is just beside herself. She's crying. She's very upset. And Casey is like, yeah, I talked to her today and the nanny has her and she won't give her back. And the operator's like, she's been gone for 30 days and you haven't reported her. And she's like, well, I've been like trying other means to get a hold of her. What other means have you been trying? But it's like, it's so non- What does that mean? It's so nonchalant. And I can't even under, every parent in America, in the world, whoever is listening, know, I'm sure you guys have all lost your child for 30 seconds. And the pure panic that sets in when you think that your child is missing is terrifying i can't even i cannot even fathom that and the idea that 31 you're just like 31 days you're just like she's gone it's, it's fine. fine she's with I've been her looking for her. yeah it's fine i talked to other her. means and i think it's important to say like casey says i talked to her today it is so weird no let's just dig into that because i'm letting that process for a second if Casey had been reasonably able to convince her parents that she had, in fact, talked to her daughter that day, Cindy and George would not be calling 911. You know what I mean? So, like, that, I mean, to me, this smells like bullshit. But even to her parents that are standing right in front of her, who I'm sure being like, okay, prove it. Sh show me your phone. Show me that you talked to. Show me anything that can prove it. Just how much the, the amount of alarm bells that would have to be present in order to cause parents to escalate it to this level. Like to the point when it might be incriminating your own daughter. I'm but you think it's that important. Yeah, I'm honestly shocked at how Cindy reacted and called 911. 
because of the fact that we hear from other people that they're a family of yellers and that the family can be kind of aggressive. And there is something that plays out later where Cindy and George are ripping up media signs or kicking paparazzi off their property and they're very like aggressive in nature. I am honestly surprised that she didn't beat the shit out of Casey. Yeah. Be like, where is my granddaughter? I'm honestly surprised it didn't come to violence. Third call where Cindy's completely beside herself. The baby's been stolen. The other thing, like before Casey gets on the phone, is that she definitely says like there is a, that Casey's car smells like there's been a dead body in it. So this kind of sets the stage. And I think the last one is probably the most famous like 911 call of this case. That's the one that I've heard. Yeah. Yes. And this part, it smells like a dead body. Like it's portrayed in newspapers. It's brought up in court. It's said over and over and over again. Those are the three 911 calls. And so again, like before the trial, before we know what happens, before all the other stuff, this is probably pieces of truth from Casey's parents that we're getting. I just want to say, too, theoretically to this whole thing, I've had some pretty smelly trash. Right. I have never had trash that has literally made me say that smells like a dead body. Like even of an animal, right? It's not a thing. So that's number one. And then again, to claim that on what you know, all of us know when you call 911 that your call is being recorded. That is what's happening. So you were saying on a call that you know that's recorded that this is happening, just the level of BS that you must be sensing at that point to put that out into the universe and how hard that must have been for Cindy, especially with that weird family dynamic. Like they're willing to put up with some BS in that family, but you smell enough doo-doo that you're like, nah, bitch. And, you know, George was a previous police officer. Yeah. Cindy's a nurse. And she also knows what decomposition or a dead body smells like. And if you've ever smelled that, people, like, I've only smelled it for an animal, thankfully, never yeah. for a human. But it is a specific smell. <laughs> yeah. It's not anything that you ever forget. And you know exactly what it smells like. Of course, police are dispatched to the home. They're immediately suspicious, of course, of the story that they're hearing from Casey. Because I think for anybody, it is incomprehensible that you don't report your daughter missing for 30 days. I don't know people who don't report their animal missing for 31 days. When we are on vacation and our animals are with a trusted house sitter, Missy, if you're listening, you're wonderful and we love you. We are asking for photos like every day. Right. <laughs> I am not going to let you go a day Send me a without, without affirming to me that my loved creature is okay. And this is a human being. I'm so baffled right now. <laughs> I think this, to me, this was the nail in the coffin. Because I don't know that anyone, no matter what story you tell them, like even, even if your story is true, even if it's lowercase true, like your truth, whatever, I think this is always comes down to this. You did not report your daughter missing 100%. for 30 days. You did not seek professional police investigatory help. For 30 days. I don't even know where you go from there, to be honest. But Casey, I mean, she is buckling down. So she takes the police officer to where Zanny, the nanny, lived, to the apartment building, to the apartment where she had dropped her daughter off 30 days ago and then now was never seen. Well, 
actually, when the police look into the apartment records, because they already think that Casey is a big old liar. Yeah, they smell some doo-doo too. Yeah, they know exactly what they're getting. They find that the apartment had been vacant for at least 100 days. So, like, not only was she lying, she wasn't even lying good. Like, there's no chance of what she was saying is accurate. So, they're very, very, when I say, like, they're really suspicious. And one of the things that, like, they do is they talk to her about where she works. And she says that she's been working at Universal. They know that she doesn't work at Universal. But they're wanting to see how far down this rabbit hole. So when they go to Universal, they know the whole time that she doesn't work there. So they take Casey to Universal Studios where she said that she has been working. And I thought... Is that part of her like past 30 days story is like I've been working? Like that's why she's at the nanny? Like what is... Yes. Yeah. So she says that she's been working for Universal Studios so that she's been leaving her with the nanny. Or when she goes out, she leaves her with the nanny, things like that. Sometimes her mom watches her. Of course, previous to the 30 days, her parents had been watching her while she was working. So Universal Studios, at least the last couple of years that she's been working there. So goes to the police, to Universal Studios, in the building, talking to the security guard. And the security guard is like, I don't see any Casey Anthony here. I don't have any records that she works here. She's like, no, I mean, come on, man, I work here. He's like, yeah, I don't see you. She's like, yeah, you know my boss, Joyce. Something like that. No, I don't see her. Nobody works here like that from that aim either. And so like they go down the office, like down the hallway to talk to the bigger boss. Oh my god. With the police the whole time. I mean, listen, I like a good story, but this is like doubling down. And they are almost the door and Casey is like, I don't work here. When what 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 angle is she trying to play? I haven't worked for Universal, but I've worked for Disney. And I promise you, a multi-billion dollar organization knows how to track its employees. Like, I, I promise you that every shift I had to log in and I had multiple shifts a day and I'm pretty sure Universal does it in a similar fashion. You go from station to station to station and every time you accept that, you put in your little employee number. Like, there's a track record. Like, Casey, what are you doing? Like, why? Why, why does that even make sense? Like, what... Like, if you're going to lie, like you said, lie good. You're not even lying good. No. Say that you had contract jobs. Say Thank that you, you were doing something Stuff that would on be the harder side. to trace. Yeah, I'm selling perfume. I'm selling Mary Kay. I'm selling whatever. You're literally like one of the biggest companies in entertainment ever in the whole world. I worked there. Michael. <laughs> Carla. She had not worked there in years. So she did at least work there at some point. 2005. Oh, shit. <laughs> Not recently, girl. <laughs> no, she had worked there in three years, but for the last two years. Wow. She had been telling her parents that she was working at Universal. What was she doing? I guess that... Okay. That is the... I mean, I, hard body contests. And stealing shit. Partying. Partying. No, this is, this would have been my clue. But yeah. how do you afford a nanny? <laughs> yeah. It all comes back to how do you... Like, she's stealing gas. She's stealing from her grandmother. Like, she, you're, she's stealing money. Nobody who's working that much is stealing that much. It just doesn't make sense. And so, you uh, know, she worked for a contract company that worked from Universal. So she worked for one of the photo, you know, companies okay, yeah, yeah. that worked for them. Poor Universal. They were hiding underneath a rock the day 
that Casey Anthony was telling people that she worked for Universal Studios. Oh, I guarantee it. I mean, they probably shut down their business, turned off their lights. <laughs> That's right. Disconnected their internet webpage. New phone, who dis? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They were like, absolutely not. <laughs> so interesting. The same day that she went to Universal with the police, her Firefox browser history was deleted off her computer. But of course, we all know because we're smart and we live in this world in 2020 that you can delete it, but the data is still there. Not only is the data there, but it says you deleted it. That's right. So obviously, the nanny situation ends up being a big fat lie. There actually is someone. Here's another lie. She said it was a boyfriend of hers, like friend of his. Well, the guy will be like, yes, that was somebody that I knew, but Casey and I never dated. Mm. So, you know, it's so hard to say like where the truth is, where the lies are. This person comes out and is like, I am not, I didn't kidnap your kid. I'm not a nanny, but that's my name. And I don't know Casey Anthony, but I do know people who know her. So we've ran in same circles, but we've never been connected. So the police can pretty much easily get rid of the whole zany the nanny. It's this really, this story and everything that Casey says, besides the lies, we get no explanation. So there really is no explanation about why she lied about the nanny. We don't get one during the trial and we don't get one for until she came out with the documentary. We don't, and I'm not even sure that the documentary really covered it. We don't get an explanation of why she made up this nanny. And like, what does it mean? There's been a lot of people with a lot of speculation, like, does Zanny the nanny mean Xanax? And that she's been drugging her kid to put her down to sleep? I don't know. Like, there's a part of it that could make sense. Because we know that Cindy has been watching Casey late in the evening time and things like that. But I'm sure there's some situations where Casey had went out. And so either she's not going out with her friends in the evening time because Cindy's like, I'm not watching her every single night. I don't believe that you're working that much. Or maybe she is doing something to to Kaylee and Kaylee's going to sleep and she's going out. We just honestly don't know. Mm. The police officers, they're like, okay, we're going to arrest Casey. So they arrest her for neglect, lying to officers, and interfering with an investigation. This is on July 16th. I mean, all those lies they better have. That seems completely reasonable to me. The officers bring in cadaver dogs and they do mark on the trunk of Casey's car. So there's a documentary that I watched that really asks the question, can a dog distinguish between garbage and a dead body? Yes, that is literally what they are trained to do. But however, it's not a perfect science. So a dog is a good indication, right? But you're not going to try somebody or convict somebody on a dog marking on a certain location. But this is a positive mark. It's not like, oh, I think something is here. It definitely is a positive mark that there was a dead body in this trunk. I just want to point out, we're literally using dogs these days to know when someone's going to have stroke, to know when someone has cancer. Like, I... I hear you. It's not an exact science, but literally they have a hundred thousand times the neurons in their noses. Yeah. <laughs> like attached to their noses as we do. It's just an interesting data point that I the feel, dogs pointed at this. I feel like I could pass a lie detector test before I could trick a dog. 100%. So 
it's the same thing. Like, that's not a perfect science because it is kind of science as a lie detector test. Yeah. But I do feel like a dog sniffing and marking, especially if it's like a valid mark. July 22nd, even though the charges really they're minor in nature, the judge was disturbed by the nonsense of the story. Casey's nonchalant behavior, he sets the bond at 50000 So he isn't, he comes out not playing with you, Casey. And I mean, again, it's just weird. There's there's no explanation. It's just the most insane story that anybody has ever heard. Like parts of this, I know we tend to do this, but it's reminding me a little bit of Swan Street where, you know, Victor, Joseph, Dylan, we're getting the feeling that you know more. And part of our feeling of frustration and even part of our feeling of really thinking you might have had something to do with it is because you're not sharing this with us. Like, Casey, if you know something, like if this really was just some horrible accident or something, like just tell us, stop, stop all this shit. Stop taking me to Universal when you haven't worked there in three years. And I know it says even though the charges are minor in nature, if I got charged with child neglect, I would just, I would die. Like it would just tear me to my core, especially to just be like a young mom who is very serious about taking good care of their kids. Like, I just can't even get over the fact that she's so nonchalant, but the behavior just continues to get strange. And I don't mean Scott Peterson strange. I mean... Oh, God. (laughs) Yeah. No, I mean, that was pretty strange. We we deeper than that. Yeah. It does. So right after that, They find hairs that are consistent with Kaylee in the trunk of the car. It's not looking good for Casey, and it's not looking good for Kaylee. And it's so different than, because you mentioned Scott Peterson, like one of the things, one of the pieces of evidence that ended up convicting him was the hair in the toolbox. This is one of those things where I feel like the defense actually had a good argument. Like, if you'd find my hairs everywhere. Right. And I have a buzzed head. You'd still find like my arm hair everywhere in this house to include my toolkit outside, to include my car, but in my trunk? Like, would you find, I guess my closest equivalent, would you find Spock's hair in my trunk? No, he's never been in my trunk. Right. He's never even been at the opening of my trunk. Why would he be there? I feel the same way about this child. Why would this child's hair be inside the trunk? Inside a trunk that smells of death. That was positively hit on by a cadaver dog. Right. There are videos, you guys can YouTube them, of her parents going to the jail and having phone conversations on video with Casey. And Casey's, oh, I think she's coming home anytime. It's kind of the same thing that I've said with like the Scott Peterson case or or whatever, right? Common sense puts you here. That's right. Common sense tells you this is what's going to happen. There are extenuating circumstances or like really weird things always, but like- The most logical answer is that Casey, you had Kaylee. Now she's been gone for 30 days. She didn't disappear. Where is she? You have to know where she's at. You're just not ready to tell us. August 20th, a pretty well-known bounty hunter from California comes and pays her bond. And I guess this is something that he's done quite frequently before. The reasoning behind this really is that, for the most part, parents want to find their missing children. And they felt if Casey was out, that she could either assist or that she would end up telling on herself or something in order to help finding 
the child. At this point, it's really still being treated like a missing child case. Obviously, it's not looking good. The media blows up with the hairs being found, with her being released from jail. Everyone is looking for Kaylee. There are widespread searches that are starting to happen now, and everyone is very suspicious of Casey, and she actually is announced as a person of interest from the police department. Nancy Grace, our dear friend, she's going <laughs> off about her. Nancy Grace is in every in all of these stories. I tell you what. <laughs> she's the loudest person. She's controversial, but she also makes a good point every yeah. now and then. August 30th, bail is rescinded because Casey is stealing checks from her best friend. She took them to a check cashing place. Her <laughs> 5th, she stays in jail for about six days. September 5th, she's released again on bond. Stealing now from the grandmother, her mom, her dad, and her best friend. I don't know if we'll even get into this case, but it really does make me curious as to more of her upbringing. This is still a pretty young woman. Most of the behaviors you've learned at this point are just that. They're learned behaviors. What did you go through in order to, to land on these as acceptable things that you can do out in the world that I... I don't know, Carla, like there's a part of me that's hearing this and is infuriated. And it's just like, this is so ridiculous. Something is not right here. I would love to say like, Casey, you're just, you know, self-entitled, spoiled, whatever. But it's I, deeper than that. Yeah, I don't I don't think it's that simple. I, I do think that there is something to her family, something, and maybe not her family, maybe it is her, but there's something- be just unwellness, Yeah, there's right? something yeah. broken within this young lady- and this is, the, in my opinion, this is a spiraling of Casey Anthony. If I got released from jail from all of those charges, which would break my heart. Yeah. I don't know that the person who took me in, who's my best friend, I'm then going to steal her checks. And like, how hard am I now putting my best friend in a situation that I'm going to have to go call the police and turn in my best friend who's already going through a pretty shitty month? Like, Jesus. it really just comes back to this, I don't know, maybe it is self-entitlement, maybe it is selfishness, or like really something wrong with her. I, it feels deeper. Number 15th, police added lying to investigators, use of a fraudulent check, and petty theft. You've talked about this before, too. This is such a good tactic when you can't prove the bigger crime at this point. You get her for everything. Anything and everything you can get her for. She does get released the very next day. This time, she's going to be on an ankle bracelet. So they're going to be tracking her every move. October 14th, even though a body has not been found, and given the current evidence between the internet searches, which, again, that foolproof suffocation was not one of the internet searches, there are some internet searches around chloroform. And so between those internet searches, Casey's behaviors, her lies, the smell from the car, the hairs, Casey is charged with first degree murder. In the meantime, with some scientific reports that were done on the trunk, and it does seem consistent with decompensation. Now, they can't say for sure that it was Kaylee, but they can say that it is consistent with decompensation and it doesn't align with garbage. Interesting. And I'm sure some of that's like the bacterial makeup and some of the other stuff that they saw in there. I Good on them. Yeah. Like that, I'm sorry. I feel like I try to play devil's advocate on these things often. That's, that's okay. We need devil's that's advocate. That's the role that I play. Casey. And I'll say there's a lot to talk about the chloroform and we're going to get into it when we talk about the case. But just know that that's going to come 
up later, but that's part of those internet searches. It's very confusing. And when we go to trial, it kind of explains maybe why the jury did what they did. It doesn't feel that confusing though, Carla, as we get into this next phase of things. It does. I, I hear you. Yeah. It's complex. It's layered. But at the same time, it's like someone on this computer searched for foolproof suffocation. <laughs> now that one though, they never found until afterwards. So I'll tell you the story about that. When they did, this is just, honestly, it's just bad policing. They're able to search her computer history, but they're only looking at one browser instead of looking at all the browsers. Interesting. And they only look at one browser. They do pick up the result around chloroform, but they don't look at the other browser. It has the internet search foolproof? And I don't know if it's like a young person working on the team, like a, a young and tenure person working on the team. But later it's found after the trial when they do a full, like, oh, you didn't actually look at everything. And one of the podcasts we listened to, the prosecutors, they really talk about we how- you the prosecutors. I know, I'm obsessed with you guys right now. You only get one shot at this. So if you, on October 14th, put her up for charges and you decide to go forth with trial, you have to go forth with the evidence that you have. Oh, interwebs and all of that a little younger back then. So maybe you just didn't think of it, but it does feel like a big miss in light of oh, what we find later. That just miss. would have been such a glaring. <laughs> and I'll tell you, it's not their first misstep Okay. when it comes to this trial. So December 11th. So almost from July. Well, really, if we think so from another June, six months. Yeah. The body of Kaylee Anthony was found in a nearby, heavily dense wooded area. Her body was found in double plastic garbage bags that was placed inside of a laundry bag. The match of this laundry bag would also be found at the Anthony home. There's also a Winnie the Pooh Bear blanket, which was mm. Kaylee's favorite baby blanket, is with her body. And when we say that the body was found really close to the Anthony home... I mean, really close. It's a Florida Power Line employee, Robert Crunk, who would discover the body. And when he's calling 911, he's actually saying, I'm on the Anthony route, and I'm pretty sure I've discovered a body. He knows that he's near Casey Anthony's home and that this could be the child. Anybody that's been to Orlando, and honestly, I would say any part of Florida, any part of the South, if you're thinking about a lot that has not been cleared, that is heavily dense and it is very wet at the bottom. There also had been a hurricane between Kaylee being missing in December. And so there has been a lot of water dropped in this area. So really due to the heat, the water, her surroundings, the And body, Mother Nature in Florida is yeah, just unrelenting, like they, truly. They actually say that like, had she been found a month or so later, yeah. there probably would have been nothing recognizable about like what even they found, but her body was heavily decomposed given just the environment in Florida in the heat. Yeah. What's interesting about this guy that found her, he actually found her two other times before last time that they find her in December. Wait, what? Yeah, so this is weird. So Robert Cronk would stop along his route and would use the bathroom in the woods. And he came across on August 12th. He goes to the bathroom there and he finds a garbage bag and it's very suspicious, but he doesn't really look into it. But he calls the police and he's like, hey, I think I found something suspicious here. Like you guys might want to check it out. 
Well, he goes home, he tells his girlfriend or whatever, and she's like, no, you need to call them back and make sure they actually investigate this. Because again, this is like one month after the whole media blitz has found out about what's going on with her. And at that point, Casey had just been a couple of weeks arrested. This is when she's bouncing in and out of jail. This story is really hot and heavy. I wonder if police were getting lots of calls they like that. They absolutely Like, were. I wonder if that was part of them not taking this particular one seriously. It's just being like, oh, oh, another one of these. Yeah, and it's just weird. I definitely think it is. I'm not going to beat them up about it because I'm sure they got all sorts of tips. 13th calls again. And it was like, hey, man. Which is not something you would do if you were just trying to put on a show. Right. I think somebody should come out here. So police officer, they do come down here. But it's start, it's August in Florida. And guess what happens every single day in August? It rains. It rains. Yep. It oh, rains. And like a lot. <laughs> yeah, it pours down. It's downpouring. They can't find the exact area where the guy had seen this. The police officer actually falls down in like the mud. And so he's pissed. He's like, listen, do not call me with this bullshit that you think you saw something suspicious. I'm having so much judgment for this police officer right now, though. Well, in light of what was eventually found, fair, it's not a good look. <laughs> so it does take all the way to December that he stops by there again. And this time he's like, you know what? I'm actually going to look in the bag. It was probably something he'd seen from a distance. It looks suspicious. He uses his meter stick and he actually moves the skull. No. So it is... 100% clear at this point that yes, I have found. Now, maybe I found an animal body that somehow is wrapped up like this. But some sort of creature. Yeah, I have definitely found a skull. I'm not even going to talk about what the body looked like. Definitely found a body. He calls and really, again, besides the decomposition, the only other thing is that there was duct tape. It was three pieces of it that was wrapped around the entire head of Kaylee. Shit. About a month and a half later, George Anthony, Casey's father, is found in a hotel room in Daytona Beach. He's very intoxicated, and he has attempted suicide. He left a five-page suicide note, and he was rescued, and he did not die from the attempt. And I just, like, I just want to say, Michael and I talked about it last week, and I feel like in light of what's happened this week... It's just so important if that is what you're going through that you need to talk to somebody. There are lines. There are ways to help. This doesn't need to be an option. Your life is important, so it's important to get help. Yep. So it is important to know that in this five-page suicide note, he really talks about how he let Kaylee down and is like, I'm going to come see you soon. But he <sighs> never admits to doing anything. There's no oh, I did something to Kaylee. And you just think this, to him, was his last moments, that there is no confession. It is really just, I think, a grandfather outpouring. Here's the thing. I have no idea if George is innocent or guilty, right? The only thing I can say is anybody who was in this situation, in this family, this close to that child, and this happens to them, they are walking away with a piece of guilt. I don't know who wouldn't do that. My dog died last year and there was literally nothing I could have done that I didn't do to save that dog. And there's not a moment that I think about it that I'm like, well, what if I would have gotten home a couple hours? That's like right. you just think about it. I, I had nothing. I had there's no culpability in my dog passing away. And I, I just feel like this suicide, maybe he's guilty, maybe he's not, 
feel like the suicide, though, is just a grandparent grieving for their granddaughter. I take a, a slightly different skew to it. I think that especially as much as this case had already blown up, there is incentive to preserve one's own standing yeah. in this, right? When I was in college, I was friends with someone that had been, in my opinion, manipulated and sexually abused by a much older man. And even when I confronted that man for having hurt my friend, when I caught him red-handed, confronted him straight on, he could not admit to me that that was something he did. So when I think about these later allegations of potential sexual abuse to both Casey and Kaylee, I don't know. It, it becomes confusing and muddied to me. Was his culpability deeper than what he implied and that he ever admitted? Admitting those things are, is really, really hard. And sometimes something like suicide is the easy way out. To me, that actually seems more likely than just the idea of I let my daughter down. No, you did something really bad. Now, was that thing really bad to Kaylee or to Casey or to Casey's mom? I don't know, but you did something really bad. Yeah, and that is what a lot of people think. I mean, you're not off because there are many people who question what level did the father have to do with this because last day on earth, right? Last day that anyone actually saw Kaylee, mom was at work, father left halfway through, and then isn't honest about when Casey left or didn't leave. Right. So there is some speculation a lot around George. I don't know what his yeah part to play in this is, but there's a part to play. I completely understand why you think that. April 13th, 09, prosecutors decide to add the death penalty to the jury instructions. Damn, it's gotten serious. Yeah, I just, I mean, Florida, here we go. That's right. May 25th, 2011. This is two years later from when they added the death penalty. You know, justice moves slow. It sure does. The trial lasts about six weeks, which is a pretty good length of a trial. And it begins with a bang. So prosecution lays out their opening statement. Of course, they're saying that Casey is a party girl who didn't have time for Kaylee in her life. No big surprise to any of us. That's what we've seen portrayed on the media for, might I add, the last two years. However, defense attorney Jose Baez comes out swinging. He says, actually, this is not a murder at all. This was an accidental drowning in the family pool and George covered it up. He also says that Casey was molested by her father and due to her family's pattern of lying that she was brought up with, the month after was just her lying due to her dad's previous abuse. He even suggested that the utility worker who found the body was actually involved. You know, the guy who called three times to the police to say, hey, can you please come check out this suspicious thing? It's not an unreasonable claim, though. Yeah. Because it's one thing to be a concerned citizen, like you're that concerned that multiple months later you're doing this. You know, it's funny how many people find bodies while going to the bathroom on the side of the road, how many men? I've done that. I 100% been on that road trip where it's just like, I got to pee. There's not a bathroom. So just pull over. I'm just going to tell you for any of the guys listening, okay? <laughs> if that's where killers are dumping bodies, they were, that might be also where they're hiding out looking Would for you. Would you stop that? Why are you trying to kill all of my joy of like driving in the outdoors? 
I'm just saying, it's real sketch. I might have a dream of buying a Subaru and just... <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> and you really think, like, the defense in this case, like, they're throwing everything up against the wall. They're seeing what sticks. Putting anything out there with reasonable doubt. And I'll just share that when I first heard about the Casey Anthony, I watched the trial. Like, I was very invested in what happened. I watched what happened at the end. I really did walk away, I think, in my mind, thinking, though, that she was more involved in the accidental drowning and that she was more involved in the covering up of the accidental drowning. There was a part of me that felt very strongly that some type of accident happened and then Casey covered it up. I imagine if I was sitting on this jury, this would open a huge amount of reasonable doubt because... No one wants to think that this young, pretty mother could do this to this adorable little two-year-old. Yeah, no one's enjoying this. Here's what's interesting about the fact that you throw this out here, this bombshell, really, is that George is the first one to testify. He is up first because he was the last one outside of Casey that day to see Kaylee alive. George testifies, but for the prosecution, and he denies... When the prosecution asks him to both accusations, both molesting Casey and covering up Kaylee's murder. And if you go back and watch this, it's saying when they're, it's really nonchalant. He was like, I just heard about this whole story 20 minutes ago in that opening statement. I didn't have anything to do with it. And maybe that's because he really doesn't. That, He's like, that might be the truth. The other thing I think is that. He doesn't want his daughter. His daughter is being put up for a, the death sentence. I think that so is like, the other He's probably not going to like storm the building and be like, absolutely, I did not do that. He's going to be like, I didn't do it. Can we just move past it? If you guys want to blame me, sure, whatever. I think that's the complicating factor in this, right? Mm-hmm. Is that blood can be thicker than water. And even if you suspect your own kin of having done something awful, as long as you're not being shouldered with it, like, is there this desire to try to keep that person free i don't know and when it's your daughter and if you think that they genuinely did have something to do with it it almost makes him sound like he's the sacrificial lamb and he's just like numb to it yep you're the defense attorney you're gonna try to make somebody else look like it i'm not gonna protest too much i'm just gonna be like no i don't know what you're talking about and like we'll just move along but if that makes reasonable doubt show up here in your mind i'm okay with that too I'm certainly not an expert, but this is some of the differences in various legal systems that we've talked about before. First of all, in the United States, you are innocent until proven guilty. So the burden of proof is on the prosecution to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that you did it. In many other judicial systems, it is the opposite. You are guilty, like once they have that evidence and they have to prove you innocent in order to get you out. You may have opinions about that one way or the other, but it's the system that we live in. In the United States, it's on the prosecution. That's different elsewhere. They don't have to prove shit. Well, and that's exactly what Jose Baez says. He drops this bombshell. George testifies because it's prosecution's first. That's right. George testifies. They cross-examine. Jose Baez, he didn't touch the sexual assault. He doesn't touch the drowning. He doesn't touch the supposed cover-up. He doesn't have to. Yeah, he's like, (laughs) I don't have to do that. So he doesn't. He really focuses on George's attempt of suicide and the suicide note and really says, like, you kind of told us in this note that you were involved in it. That's really where they go back and forth about that. But that's where he lays it. And it actually becomes a point later on 
that when it comes time for closing arguments, the prosecution is like, hey, he can't mention this again because he never proved anything about it. There was no proof. There was no conversation no about groundwork it. Laid. No groundwork, no foundation laid. So he can't bring it up again. And the judge agreed. So he couldn't bring it up in closing arguments. But most people would say, like, the damage was done. Reasonable doubt was already there for most people. Like, most people, I think, believe Casey's not a good mom. And sure, like, maybe the accidental drowning happened. Also, it's Florida. We've talked about it. That is the number one killer of children in Florida. I mean, is for, drowning. forget the pools, all the Oceans, just the bodies of water, the lakes. swamps. That's right. Yeah. I mean, Florida is like water with some land. <laughs> like, it's true. So much so. I not only know one, I know two people whose children have drowned in the pool, oh, an accidental God. drowning. And it's good parents that it happens to. And there is almost never legal ramifications that happen from it. That's right. Because it was truly an accident. Our insurance companies makes you put like incredible locks, alarms, all sorts Dates. of things. When you go to rent a house down in Orlando area, the last one that we rented, you had to like turn off the alarm, come out the door. You had five seconds to come out the door and then you had to hit it again. I was like, this is ludicrous. We put so many precautions in Florida and still these things happen. It just is what it is. It happens. I think for me... Jose Bias, who, you know, would later go on to defend Harvey Weinstein. For what it was worth, I mean, he put reasonable doubt out there. It's almost like you and I talked about before that movie Inception, that it's you don't actually have to crystallize the thought. That's not even your responsibility when you're thinking at it, thinking about it from Jose's perspective. It's, I just have to plant the seed. Yep. I just have to scatter this seed over here. And maybe some of it will grow and maybe some of it won't. Defense's whole story really is, Casey is a good mother who loves her daughter. And they'll have friends who testify that she's a great mother and that Kaylee will be taken care of. And you know what? Maybe all of that's true. But let me just add some context. These are 20-something-year-old kids. I'm just going to it does a good mother. Most like, of them maybe. do not have kids. No. I would take the fact that like, judges. yeah, I can't believe no one said that because I'm like, dude, I can think about like when I was 20, I was like, oh my God, I'm an amazing mom. Like I'm doing a great, I am killing this. Casey must be a good mom because like <laughs> Kaylee's always like alive and Clean. Casey always has a French manicure. Yeah. So, She's duh. like getting pictures <laughs> taken. And so like she's winning hard body contests. She is slitting. Yeah. She, she's wonderful. Like she's got her with her all the you know, she's apartment hopping. Oh like, my god. You know, yeah. It's it's so fucking stupid. I was gonna say just judgment. Again, I'm putting it back in. And again, I was a twenty something year old mom. In fact, like in my mid twenties, I had two children. And I can remember thinking, like, I'm such a good mom. And like now, twenty years later, I'm like, I was just okay. Like I was just surviving. I'm glad we made it to this yeah. point, right? There are some moments I'm like, ooh, you know what? It's a good thing we all just made it here alive. <laughs> That's right. That's the defense story. Casey is a great mom. She's great. She loves Kaylee. She would never do this. This was an accident. So some things about the prosecution. Honestly, from the beginning, though, they had an uphill battle. Like, they had to find in a highly, highly media circus case I'll add in the state of Florida, there's a thing called the Sunshine Laws. 
And what that means is that when the prosecution is putting together their case and their evidence and everything else, when they find something and they're giving it over to the defense, they also have to make it public. So what happened? That meant for two whole years between Casey's arrest and Casey's prosecution, the media and everyone Everyone had access. Orlando, Florida knew, the whole world really knew about all of these different points. That's why she was convicted, you know, in the eyes of the media. So the prosecution had a really hard time finding 12 people who didn't think that she was guilty. They did move the jury over to, I think, St. Pete and tried to get people there who didn't either didn't think that she was guilty or could say that like what they had heard about her, that they were withholding judgment. It's hard to, because I had heard our friends, the prosecutors, they're not actually our friends, but we're (laughs) calling them our friends, that it can be so difficult to get a jury to land on beyond a reasonable doubt. I had shared this with you earlier. My partner, and I hate him, I've wanted to serve on a jury my whole life. That's part of why we're on a true crime podcast, right? Please let me serve on a jury. I want it so bad. I've never gotten to this bitch, the very first jury that he serves on, it's for a murder case. And he was the then, like, basically shared with me without sharing any details of the case that he felt in this particular case that the person that had been charged with it was guilty. But the state didn't do their job in proving beyond a reasonable doubt that this person should have to give up the whole rest of their fucking lives and one by one had to turn half the jury basically to that point really ask them if this was you if you were in this person's position and this was the evidence that had been presented against you are you satisfied with this there is a piece of me for whatever it's worth that really appreciates it's so necessary for our system of of justice in the united states the other thing the prosecutor in my mind got wrong was understanding how was kaylee killed so back to the chloroform okay so they focused a lot of time on chloroform most people myself included could not understand how casey who barely had a high school education could make chloroform from home because that was the prosecution story that she at first had chloroformed Kaylee. So I actually watched this documentary and it went through possibilities, how to make it homemade. And could you actually make it from home? No, it's pretty much impossible. Like you have to have some pretty strong, serious chemistry background in order to make chloroform. The other thing is, and I mean, this sounds so horrible. You don't need to use chloroform. Like if you want to knock a child out or make them incapacitated you do not need to use chloroform there are so many other ways you could literally put your hand over their mouth and their nose by the way this this works for most people like what you see about chloroform on tv and movies it's not true chloroform is not some instant magic you take one breath of it 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 is sustained contact with something like that it has to overtake some of the oxygen molecules that you would normally be taking in when you're breathing. Even like, maybe that's different for a child, I suppose. You wouldn't need as much of it. But chloroform in any instance, that is not your best way to knock someone out. It's just not. And not a two-year-old. No. Like, I I don't know that. No, I don't know that any, you know, 
people who are snatching children or doing bad like they're maybe not maybe some bobo like maybe some people that are like foolproof ways to suffocate a child i don't know maybe chloroform comes up I right don't know. so the other thing about the chloroform is the state they have this expert ran a test on the home computer some of the home computer tests i feel like it's just an epic failure all the way around like Whatever vendor they use to do this with, they should just let him go. So they ran this test and it said that chloroform was searched 84 times. And so there's this big thing. They go on trial. They're like, who typed this in 84 times? It's part of the opening statement. It's part of all the questionings. And actually, Cindy says, oh, I probably Googled chloroform. I was looking for chlorophyll and it probably just misspelled chloroform, but that was me. And he's 84 like, 84 times after it corrects you? Yeah. <laughs> like, no. So that sounds pretty damning, right? Well, would you like to know that? However, after the expert testified, he was like, you know, 84 times, man, that, that just seems like a lot. Like, who's doing that? Oh, you know what? Maybe there's a bug in the system. Yep, there was a bug in the system. So after he fixed the bug in the system and reran the data, it actually was only searched one time. What? It probably was truly sitting really searching could. for no, chlorophyll. If it was one, I would even buy two times. Right. You thought you were doing chlorophyll. So that didn't look good for the prosecution. The other thing is Casey's parents, they were really vocal in this 911 call that Casey could be guilty of something. But then they really start to double down in their testimony and they completely like back out of all of their original statements to the police. Cindy takes, hey, that was me that was Googling that. Or like, oh, you know what? It didn't really smell like a dead body. Or you know what? That fight, it really wasn't that bad. Like everything starts to get downplayed. The only thing that really they don't admit to is the allegation around the sexual abuse and the drowning. Nobody is admitting to that. The prosecution, they lay out all of Casey's lies. They show her partying during that time frame. And that the motive is that Casey didn't want to be bothered with Kaylee anymore. Maybe focusing more on the fact that Casey's behavior was escalating, that her lies were beginning to compound on top of one another. So like, let's say that Casey is completely guilty. If you think about the weeks leading up to this event, you've been doing this for two years. Yeah. Your mom is starting to get suspicious. She's now telling you, like... She's looking at taking Kaylee from you. You have no money. You have not had a job. You have no money. You have no place to stay. And your mom is threatening to take your kid. Your lies are escalating. They're compounding. So it almost does seem like this bubble effect. And I feel like if they would have really more clearly laid that piece out, that emotional piece of being a 22-year-old girl, who's in this very volatile time in her life, who is yep. a young mom who wants to live a life. And there almost seemed like this like weird dynamic between her and Cindy, almost like jealousy that her mom loved her child more than her. And maybe in some ways they did. Like Kaylee was this cute little two and a half year old and she wasn't Casey who is, as we know, ungrateful, spoiled, selfish, and entitled but also that love is just different uh, like yeah like the love that i received from my grandparents because they do not have responsibility for rearing me is just very different it's much more carefree it's much more they get to be the good cop in all those situations uh, yeah. like i just that's not even i don't know that that's a fair comparison no it's it's not the same 
So closing arguments are on July 3rd. They break for July 4th. The jury deliberates on July 5th. The jury is out for only 11 hours. So it's an incredibly short amount of time for essentially a capital case. This is a death penalty case. I can remember my grandmother lived in Orlando and I either must have come to see her like at the time frame of the jury, but like her and I talked about it. I actually think back as I was like researching just sweet memories because my grandmother isn't here anymore. And I honestly, part of me was like, oh, I wish I could call her and tell her all the crazy things that we were learning about this case that I don't really remember from back then. I think this jury announcement was probably as close to the world being shocked as they were when OJ was acquitted. Jury comes back and they acquit her. And let me just throw out there, there were a few charges outside of capital murder. The only charge that they hold her to is lying to the police. There's a lot of rumors around this case. There's a lot of misconceptions. And there's actually a documentary that talks about how they overcharged, but they didn't. The charges, really, the jury instructions were given multiple things that they could have charged her on. So she was charged with first-degree murder, aggravated child abuse, manslaughter, along with lying to the police. And even though the jury could have chosen any of those. And especially like the aggravated child abuse. Right. I guess they did get her for lying to police. Right, the lying but to police. But at some point, like, I don't know, could they have done better to get on some sort of neglect charge or something. I don't know. Maybe none of those. I have a really hard time with manslaughter not being on there. Yeah. So because of if you think that she drowned and then she did all of these other things to cover it up, manslaughter could cover that. I feel at the end of the day, like the jury can do whatever they want to. They can get her for aggravated child abuse, even if maybe not all of it is that. There is a jury that will come out later who says that they he wished that he would have charged her with a lesser crime, but they were so focused on first degree murder. And I do think in the prosecution's closing argument, even though instructions had everything in there, I do believe that the prosecution's closing argument focused on first degree murder. Yeah. So that may be like where people get the confusion, but she was charged with multiple things and they still chose to quit. Laying out some of the things, laying out about like the bug with the computer, like that doesn't really make sense. Jose Bias throughout this drowning, was she being sexually abused? The fact that her parents completely backed out of all statements that they had. I mean, the lying, I don't know, that's kind of hard not to get past, but maybe I would never have probably said the death penalty because I think the drowning to me would have just been like, what if this was an accident? And she just was stupid and covered it up afterwards. I will say some of the parents' actions there, too, in backpedaling, it right. just makes me even more suspicious of what might have happened in Casey's earlier life. How do you convince, if at this point, <clears throat> you know, I'm playing devil's advocate, if I'm trying to put myself in George's shoes, and I truly feel like I have done my fair share in raising my daughter to be an upstanding citizen. I've never done anything wrong. I'm not sure I would be defending them to the grave. I don't care if they're my blood or not. But if I've done some shady shit, if I feel at all that some of my past actions have had any bearing on what happened to my granddaughter, I don't know. I might be willing to take some responsibility for some shit just to feel like I can get some cosmic, karmic like balance restored or something. Parents are supposed to love their children unconditionally. Yeah. 
That's a Children thing. do not have to love us back unconditionally. I'm not 100% that George is innocent, but this could be a situation where they are loving Casey unconditionally and Casey is putting all sorts of conditions on her love back to them. It's just a really complicated dynamic between the three of them. I feel like even if George didn't know anything about it, as soon as she went to jail, George figured it out. Like he figured out what happened and he knew from right then. Because obviously he knew that she didn't draw in the pool. I still go back to though, what was his part to play in it? I, why is my daughter saying all of these completely false things? Yeah. And if that is, if the explanation is she's just not mentally well and I genuinely don't feel like I have anything to do with it, I'm not going to stand for it. Especially if I'm a police officer. I don't know, maybe I'm completely misreading that. I'm not in this situation. And so then when you look at some of the sexual abuse allegations and everything that were thrown out there, some of that starts to feel a little bit viable. Does it make it okay if Casey did any of this? Fuck no. But it just makes maybe some of their behavior a little more understandable. She was sentenced to four years for the lying to the police, and she pretty much got time served. Within days, she was released from there. She steps away from the media. Besides Jose Baez, she had another attorney who was a little bit older who came in to help Jose because he was a very young attorney. She goes essentially to live with him and his family and they essentially hide her for the next few years. They even hire her to do work for them. And that's where she's built her life. She's estranged from her family. There was a point in time where she was talking to her mom, but not her father. And I, the brother and her became completely estranged. The only thing that you can find about the brother is that he got married and has a child. I think he's still living in Orlando. Same thing with the parents and just continuing about their life. The only thing that Casey did was she sold pictures of Kaylee growing up to People Magazine for a couple million dollars to help pay for her lawyer's fee. And remember, she was innocent. They acquitted her. So she is allowed to sell whatever she wants to. That's right. We have heard nothing from Casey Anthony, and we didn't hear from her in the trial until a couple weeks ago. Mm. Peacock released a three-part docu-series. This is very much like the Scott Peterson one that was released a few years ago that's done by his side of the family, by his appeal team. This docu-series is 100% pro-Casey. There are some officers that talk in there. They do some things that try to make the officers look a little bit bad. Maybe that's accurate. Or the prosecution, maybe it looks makes them look bad on purpose. Maybe that's a very accurate portrayal, but it is very much pro Casey Anthony. Even though I feel like I already knew the story and it definitely made me feel dirty, I had to watch it because I'm nosy. And all I'll say is it's hard to watch a well documented liar and walk away and feel like you know anything is still true. Not only is she a well documented liar, she is a well documented thief. She steals money from her family. She steals money from her best friend. For those of you that haven't watched it and don't want to watch it, I'll give you a recap. In her recalling of the story, she heavily blames her family for almost everything wrong in her life up to that point. She shares that her father and her brother molested her whole life. In summary, to get down to the day of what happened with Casey, because she does go into a lot about her life. And I feel like a lot of two episodes of things that don't mean anything to any of us. And it takes all the way to the third episode 
to get down to her really discussing what happened to Kaylee. Casey says that the day that Kaylee died, she wasn't feeling great and she took a nap early in the day. Her mom had left for work. And when Casey woke up, her dad was holding the little girl's body and that she appeared to be dead. Essentially, he tells her that like he'll take care of it and that they cannot... I think there was something about that she had drowned, but Casey did not believe him that she had drowned and it didn't appear that Kaylee had drowned. But essentially he's yelling at her and he's telling her that like they must keep it quiet so that her mom never finds out. Casey says that she goes the next 30 days living in denial and the whole time that she's out partying, she's living her life, that she really believes that Casey is okay and that she's alive and everything is fine. Here's the thing. Like, she doesn't explain why she lied about the nanny. She doesn't explain that the next day she came and stole gas from her mom and dad's house. She does talk about the car. But she's pretty much like, oh, he came and got the car. We know you left in the car. So, like, where did he put Casey's, like, where did he put Kaylee's body? And then later came, got the car, and then put Kaylee's body in the car, and then gave you the car back, and then you abandoned it. There's a lot of holes in the story. Maybe she doesn't remember it for whatever trauma or things like that in her life. I don't know. But she doesn't explain any of that. The only thing that she says is that her lies in the 30 days to that are related to her dad's power and to his abuse that he's had over her whole life. She doesn't believe that Kaylee drowned and she believes that Kaylee was being molested and that he suffocated her and that the dad was trying to convince her that like he was going to do something to fix it. I think for me, what strikes me the most, and we talked about this with Amber Heard, is when you have zero feelings that like I could have done something different or I should have done this or you know what, this is like, this is where I'll never forgive myself for this. When you have zero pieces of this, it really makes me question. She does recount too that the drowning story was Baez. Like Baez said that he put that forward. All right, let's just say I believe everything she said. So father, who used to be a police officer, hides the little girl's body in a matching laundry bag, by the way, that's in his house, in a location that is real, real close to the house. That doesn't seem logical to me. It doesn't to me either. Given in Central Florida where there's literally a swamp on every, like, I feel like there's a million places. Drive five miles. Yeah, there's That's a, right. Everglades. Like, That's there's right. a million places that you probably could hide a small body like that. Some of that just does not make sense. And again, like, there's no explanation for the car stuff. I'm not going to touch the abuse allegations because... There is no way at this moment in time for like me or you to prove or disprove it. There is something clearly wrong with Casey. There's something clearly wrong with that family dynamics. I don't know if it's physical abuse. We know that they are a family of yellers. Maybe they also are a family of hitters. Um, Here's the other thing that I There's something weird. 100%. Here's the other thing that I'll say about that too, though. While for me, it makes those things more understandable. If Casey was abused and then she turned around and did awful things later in her life, it makes it more understandable. You are still responsible for your own actions. Right. I've had bad shit happen to me. You've had bad shit happen to you. We still have responsibility to show up every day in society and be contributing members to it. You still have some responsibility. So like, 
I hear what they were trying to insinuate both in the defense of Casey and then later in this documentary. It still doesn't make it okay. A broken childhood still doesn't make it okay if she fucking killed her daughter. Say like, those could be the dynamics. There could be really toxic family dynamics. Yeah. Or the dynamic could be that Casey is a self-entitled brat. 100%. Who was acting out. And these are two very frustrated parents who are pulling every stop. And asking, where the fuck did I go wrong? It is kind of hard to toss up. I don't know that we got the whole story still to this day. I think that we saw glimpses between the 911 tape and other things that we saw glimpses of Casey that we'll never get to see outside of a very edited, very produced docu-series. So any last thoughts about Casey Anthony? Some resemblances again to Swan Street for me in that there are two explanations here. Well, multiple explanations, yeah. but kind of two major fields of thought. Either Casey, either in conjunction with or without, right. Casey did something bad and is trying to cover it up. Or she didn't. So much of this was bad circumstance happened. And I'm just trying to find an explanation. And by the way, again, I don't really owe it to you. All I know is that I didn't do this. And that's all I have to prove to you is some reasonable doubt. And I still have that question on Swan Street too. All I will say, and I'm not defending her, like no. my personal opinion is that like, if you had to ask me right now, I think Casey and Anthony at least played a part yeah. in that situation. If she didn't directly do it, she knew what happened. She had information that she could have provided to help solve this and didn't. Right. Whatever those reasons are. I feel the same. And there is this other universe where she didn't. And it really could have been this accidental drowning. It really could have been this other intervention. And it's really important, especially in the justice system in the United States, that we leave room for that doubt. Yeah. Because it is better for us to let this woman go free, even if we personally, emotionally think she's guilty, than to let her go to jail if she's innocent. There's a part of me that appreciates that we've landed in this place of like, we just don't fucking know. At the end of the day, you and I can have lots of opinions about all the things. <laughs> all the things. There were 12 people who were put in that place to judge the story that they were told. And also knowing that there were some big pieces left out foolproof suffocation dear god <laughs> right so knowing what they knew and it's actually funny too the judge will come out and he'll be like i can't believe they acquitted her <laughs> like, <laughs> they did their job but like <laughs> can't fucking believe they acquitted her but they did so at the end of the day whether or not i believe she is guilty as sin but at the end of the day florida said you're free to go and she has the opportunity to make a brand new life for herself and i hope she does just that regardless of whether she did it or not she's right. been afforded this opportunity yeah make the most of it there it goes so carla are you a resolution person one of our resolutions would be to have some guest stars on here yes we'd love to hear some extra voices and we have some ideas about bringing some local experts on yeah but then maybe also some of our friends who happen to be very smart fun people to listen to and maybe we can get some of their perspectives on our cases too i love that send us a message the other thing i'm gonna do in the next year mm. i'm gonna find us some swag we're definitely gonna try to get a little bit more creative with our socials and get a little bit more engaged with you guys what's your resolution for the year 
So I think a lot of this next year is about growth and kind of self-discovery. So dear listeners, you have been on this journey with me as I've like, we bought a farmhouse, we've got chickens, we're doing goats, learning to kind of work with the land. So I would like to lean into that hard next year and really just see what that that feels like to take care of something that feels like a good resolution. You listeners have been amazing. Thank you so much for hanging with us. Like, did you ever think we were going to have this much fun doing a thing and connecting with all these people and countries and the things? And I didn't say it at the beginning, and I know it's already been an incredibly long episode, so thank you guys. Bye, bitches. Bye, bitches. Hey, you made it to the end of the podcast. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. And I know that we've given a lot of our unsolicited feedback, but at the end of the day, it's also important that we remember to stay kind, stay curious, but of course, stay nosy, bitches. bitches.